Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. Welcome back to week two of our Sermon Series Reset. Um, you know, Pastor Michael gets so excited when he baptizes people. There's just water everywhere. So I was thinking, wouldn't that be epic if I got concussed, like slipping on the baptism water right here on a Sunday morning? I'm excited you're here. We were talking about how to reset our faith. It's the time of year when lots of us think about our health, our sleep habits, our diet, our exercise. But we want to focus on those spiritual things, the really high-level issues for God. And today I get to talk to you about the Great Commission. I don't think it's just me in saying that one of the most exciting things that can ever happen to you when you come to church is when someone you love is finally sitting next to you in church. You have that experience? I mean, I love coming to church. I love hearing the Word of God. I love the music and the worship. I love the stuff that I personally get on a Sunday morning. But I got to say, there's almost no experience that a Christian can have, like seeing a friend a family member, a neighbor, a relative, someone you know and have invested in, finally giving church a chance. And I know this means a lot to you because I've had a lot of conversations in the lobby that sound like this. Pastor, you're not going to believe it. My cousin, my neighbor, my friend, my spouse is finally coming to church today. And I say, yes, that's awesome. I high five. And then you look me in the face, you get really serious. And do you know what almost all of you say? The sermon better be good. Like, this is the chance. Don't blow it for me, Pastor. <laughs> but I get that. I, I get that. You just want church to be great because, you know, you love God and you love this person and, and you just want that person to experience the love of God too. Now, if, if you're one of our guests here today, if you're not so sure about church or Christianity just yet, this might be an awkward Sunday for you. I'm going to kind of talk about you and how we love connecting people like you to Jesus But because that's, that's really true. Um, nothing means more to us than seeing the people we love connect to the God who we believe is love. There's nothing like it in the Christian experience. In fact, just last Sunday here at our church, a man was baptized. Were any of you here uh, to see Stephen being baptized? We had little Croy who was baptized too. Uh, people were going crazy after that service. Like, the baptisms, Pastor, they were so amazing. Like, people were weeping and crying and talking about it all week. And, and the fact is, most of you didn't even know the people who were being baptized. But there's just something about being a Christian when you see other people becoming Christians or, or reconnecting to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just something that fills up our soul. There's nothing quite like evangelism. And, and I don't think it's just me when I say this, that there's nothing quite as intimidating as trying to make those moments happen. And maybe you're like me that you would love it if your cousin, your brother, your neighbor, your friend would come to church. But actually talking about church, about Jesus, about the Bible, about religion, that might be one of the most complicated, difficult, and intimidating things that happens to us in our faith. For a whole bunch of reasons, right? We live in a culture that says, if you're going to be a polite American, in mixed company, you should not talk about politics or religion. So our culture tells us, shh, shh, shh. No, no, no. Keep that for Sunday. Keep that for church. And then maybe the person that you love and you're trying to connect, they've had maybe some rough and bad experiences with religion. It was crammed down their throats. They had questions that weren't answered. They went to a church that was super judgmental or harsh or just kept asking for people's money. So maybe they're a little bit resistant. They're not so interested in those kind of conversations. Or maybe it's you personally. You just feel like you're not the type you're not a, a super extrovert. You're not really quick 
answering the toughest questions about Christianity. You're not a trained pastor. You're just getting to know the Bible maybe for yourself and you just don't feel ready to talk about these things. You know, it could be the culture. It could be the person. It could be you. But there's this weird tension when it comes to the Christian faith that seeing people connect with Jesus for the first time is like the best. And it's also the thing that often terrifies us the most. It's pretty easy to pray when you're lying in bed. It's kind of easy to come to church by yourself, but uh, inviting someone with you to church, bringing your faith outside of church, these are some of the more complicated questions that exist for our Christian journey. That's why today I want to talk to you about that very thing. Um, Last week we learned about the great commandment uh, where Jesus taught us to joyfully prioritize God because God joyfully prioritized us at the cross. But today I want to talk to you about the Great Commission, which is this thrilling slash terrifying, high risk slash high reward thing that Jesus has given to the whole church. It's about going and making disciples of other nations. Apparently this is so important, it shows up in the Gospel of Matthew in some of Jesus' final words, and the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke, and again in the book of Acts. It's a big deal in the Bible And today, because it's so exciting, it's also so terrifying, I want to unpack just a little snippet of what Jesus has to say to us about this great purpose, this great mission that we call the Great Commission. So here's what I'm going to preach on today. Let me read the whole thing to you. It comes from Matthew 28, verse 19, and it says, Go and make disciples of all nations. If you're an organized person who likes to know where a sermon is going, I'm going to break this down into three parts. First, I'm going to talk to you about go. In the second part, I'm going to talk to you about and make disciples. And you're never going to guess this, sir. In the last part, I'm going to talk about of all the nations. So we're going to to break down the great commission that Jesus gave us. And I hope it it relieves some of the burden and excites you to carry out this huge part of the Christian faith. So um, let's start with the first word, go. Um, Jesus says it here in Matthew. He says it again in Mark. Because Jesus must kind of know, as he's speaking to these very first Christians, that they're inclination and their temptation would be just to stay and pray. It was a big, complicated world out there with all kinds of people and all kinds of cultures and all kinds of religions. But Peter and James and John and Thomas and Nathaniel, they they shared the same faith, the same belief in Jesus, the same value, the same priority. It would have been tempting for them just to have a Bible study and enjoy their worship and their fellowship and deepen their faith in Jesus And so Jesus takes two hands with this one word and he shoves his closest friends and says, no, no, no. I love it when you pray, but you got to go. I know it'd be a lot more comfortable if you just were hanging out with each other, but I, I don't just love you people. I love all people. So go. If the world doesn't share your values yet, doesn't believe what you believe, doesn't behave like you're trying to behave, it doesn't matter to me, he says, Go. And Jesus obviously knew what he was saying because when a person goes, when they don't just come to church and they don't just pray before dinner, when they go, two really great things happen. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write both these down. Um, Going turns out to be very, very good for them and it's also very, very good for you. Um, Here's what I mean by that. Um, It's good for them. It's good for your friends, for your grandma, 
for your next door neighbor. Because a lot of people don't realize this, the message of Christianity is actually so insanely good, no one just figures it out on their own. The gospel, the good news of Christianity, is actually so illogically good, no one just guesses the gospel. Um, If you would go and ask um, 10 of your closest friends and family members who don't go to church how they think a person gets to heaven, I'll make a bet with you. For every one of those 10 that says, well, you got to be a good enough person. You got to try hard enough. You can't do really bad things. You got to learn from your mistakes. Everyone who thinks that getting to heaven is about human effort, if they say that, you owe me a dollar. And if they say, it's just Jesus, I owe you a dollar. And if you did it, you would owe me money. (laughs) The world, even people who grew up going to church, don't get and don't guess the gospel. They think if heaven's a better place, well, you better be a better than average person. They think it's, it's all about effort, me, how I'm improving. They don't know that it's all Jesus, that his love was so great, it took care of our sins, that Jesus on the cross actually made you good enough for God. No one just figures that out on their own. It has to be told to them. In the book of Romans chapter 10, it says, uh, how can a person believe in Jesus if they haven't heard about Jesus? And how can someone hear about Jesus unless a Christian preaches about Jesus? And how can a Christian preach about Jesus unless they're sent? And so Jesus says to you, for their sake, so they have a chance to know the goodness of the good news, so they don't have to look in the mirror and just wonder and hope that they're good enough, so they can just know it's believe in Jesus. Boom. For their sake, Jesus pushes us out the door and he says, go. And as it turns out, that same process is not just good for them, it's actually very, very good for you. Um, In my experience, there are a few things that grow your faith and your character quite like trying to persuade someone else to believe in Jesus. Here's what I mean. Did you know that there are a lot of um, Christian things that a person could do and be a total jerk? I'm not advocating jerkiness right now. I am saying this. Um, if a guy was a, like a total selfish jerk, not patient, not kind, not gentle. He could park his car in our church's parking lot, walk in, sing the song, say the prayers, and go home and still be a jerk. And he could get together with a bunch of his friends who might be jerks too, and, and they could have a Bible study where they really just vent about the world and the, what's happening in the politics and the public schools and everything else. They wouldn't be patient, they wouldn't be kind, but they could do life together in a group. And before every single meal, he could pray and he could have um, some Christian books by his bedside. He could read them and say amen and still be a jerk. And he could go onto our church's website, set up the most generous gift in our church's history and give money and still be a jerk. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying you should do this. I am saying you could gather in church and do life in a group and grow at home and give lots of money and still be really nothing like Jesus. But if you're going to go and persuade someone to give Christianity a chance, isn't it true that you have to kind of be like Jesus? If you go to your brother 
or your neighbor or your coworker, and you're just a total tool to that person all week. Like you're a, you're a jerk, you're calling them names, you're, you're starting rumors. And then at the end of that, you say, hey, would you like to come to my church on Sunday? What? <laughs> no. If, if church turns people into people like you, no. The answer is, I don't, I don't want any part of that. If, if a person's going to have a real conversation about um, something as intimate and personal as faith, or God, or eternity. It, almost by its very nature, you have to be winsome. You have to be kind. You have to be the kind of person that increases their trust. Um, spiritual conversations don't happen because you go to church a lot, or you have a degree in the Bible. Spiritual conversations happen when you're a good person. And so Jesus knows when you go and you invest in people who are not followers of Jesus, it, it will start to refine you and make you more patient and more gentle, and more kind. I actually had an experience like that just a few months ago. Um, I had a really cool chance to um, record the audio book version of a, a book that I just wrote. I'll show you a picture. My wife uh, snapped this picture before she left for the day. I went to this local sound studio, holed up in a sound booth for an entire week, I think Monday through Thursday, three to four hours every single day. And the guy who ran the sound studio was super talented, super hospitable, super kind, and he told me that he's not a Christian. And so all week, the only two people in the building were me, the Christian, and this guy, the non-Christian. And because God has a sense of humor, um, I was recording that book, Taboo, which was 300-plus pages of the most uncomfortable, awkward, taboo topics in the Bible. I was reading chapters I had written about abortion, abuse, adultery, pornography, politics, um, race, um, gender dysphoria, homosexuality, sex in marriage, sex outside of marriage, living together before marriage. He and I spent all week talking about the toughest stuff that the Bible addresses. And you know what happened? As I'm sitting in that little room talking into the microphone by myself, I'm picturing him sitting by himself in a room just listening to my words. And there were so many times when as I was reading, I was thinking about what he must have been thinking. And it hit me, even though I thought I was being persuasive and winsome, there were so many times in the book when I just thought, you know what, no, no, I should have explained that better. Or I'm being really simplistic about what non-Christians think about this issue. If I was him, I'd be raising my hands and, whoa, 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 objection. It's kind of interesting that when I typed out the book, I didn't feel that way. And actually, when I preached many of the chapters from that book with you here in church, I didn't feel that way. But it was just me and a person who wasn't following Jesus. I knew it instantly. And so it wasn't just for his benefit that that spiritual conversation was happening. I realized it was so, so good for mine too. So can I give you a two-handed push today like Jesus did with his friends? Go. Um, it's so tempting to fill up all of your free hours with people who sh maybe share your passion for Jesus. Sometimes... Um, friendships are a little bit easier when you have the same faith and values, when you see the world through the same lens. Just like it happens in politics, it's just easier to live in an echo chamber, but, but it's not good. Uh, not for us, 
and not for the people who don't follow Jesus just yet. So as you think about your schedule for this week or, or this month, the habits that you've gotten into, are, are there times when you're just intentionally loving, investing, spending time with people who aren't sure about church, aren't, aren't sure about Jesus? I know you could attend another Bible study. I know you could join another group. There's a good place for that, but not too much of that. Instead, let me send you out the door and like Jesus to his friends for their sake and for yours. Go. Go is where the Great Commission begins. And here's where it goes next. Remember part two? Jesus said, go and make disciples. Now, make disciples is just another way of saying make more Christians. Make more followers of Jesus. Jesus wanted his people to connect more people to the most important person. Um, these days, some people say, you know, you shouldn't talk about religion or you shouldn't try to convert someone to your religion. What's pretty interesting is that Jesus didn't feel the same way. Um, he believed that he was the only way to actually get to God, that just believing anything would not be enough. God is so perfect, you have to be perfect to be in his presence. And Jesus knew that his cross and his sacrifice was the only actual way to make that happen. And so he said, um, don't just go and like love whatever everyone believes. He says, go and make disciples. So how does that work? If you're taking notes, there's three words we talk about a lot when it comes to outreach around here. The three words are invest, invite, and evangelize. I'd love for you to write those down if you're taking notes. Um, the, the process of making disciples almost always comes down to this, to invest, to invite, and to evangelize. Now, investing just means loving people well, what we just covered. Now, try to be the best neighbor that you can be. If your spouse doesn't believe, try to be the, the best, most selfless spouse that you can. Try to be that coworker and employee that your boss and coworkers can rely on and don't have to worry about. Uh, resist gossip and, and slander. Be generous, be kind, forgive people. Invest in real relationships. So even if a person isn't a Christian yet, they, they trust you and they love you because they know that you've loved them first. That's invest. Next is invite. You could be the nicest person on planet Earth, but no one becomes a Christian just by being in the presence of your niceness. Okay, to become a Christian, you need to hear about Christ. The book of Romans says that faith comes, Christian faith comes from hearing the message about Christ. So invite is just an invitation for a person to hear about Jesus. Uh, maybe you invite someone to come to church with you. Maybe you invite them to listen to a podcast or watch a YouTube video. You invite them to read a little book like the basics that we love to give away here at our church. What, what are you doing? You're trying to invite someone to consider, to read, to understand the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. A simple invitation. Uh, by the way, did you know when they survey people who don't go to church, and they ask them the question, how likely are you to come to church if someone you love invited you? Did you know not one out of ten or two out of ten or three out of ten, but a vast majority of unchurched, non-Christian people will say, I'd probably come. A lot of Christians just assume, well, if he doesn't go to church, he must not be into church. But apparently when you ask people who don't go to church, they say, no, I just, I just don't know where to start. I don't, I don't know where to go. There's a billion churches in town. But if you, if you've invested in them well, just invite them. It's incredible how likely people are to come. And that's 
why we love to tell people, invest and then invite. And then don't miss this one. We also evangelize. Evangelize just means to talk about the good news of Jesus in your own words. And maybe you know someone whose uh, experience with church has been so bad, they might say no to that invitation. So we want to take the Jesus that we talk about here in church and bring it to them. Don't make them wait until they get to church to get to Jesus. We're going to preach the gospel of Jesus to them. So we're going to share about sin and forgiveness. Uh, We're going to talk about the times we mess up and the mercy of God. Uh, We're going to talk about how all of us have fallen short. All of us are in serious trouble unless Jesus saves us, which by his grace and in his love, he did. So if you want to go and make disciples, Jesus uh, would encourage you to invest, love people well, invite, give them a chance to come and hear the gospel or evangelize, bring the gospel to them. All right, quick pause. Um, Let me test the room real quick. At this point in the sermon, we've talked about the Great Commission. We've kind of broken it down a little bit. How many of you just in your heart right now are thinking, yep, I got it. Pastor, wrap it up. Say amen. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Get out the door. I know who I'm investing in. I know who I'm in. Who feels super competent as an evangelist right now? It's okay if you want to raise your hands. Go. One. All right. All right. We, we got, I didn't even need two hands to count you. Holy cow. And how many of you are honestly thinking, uh, I, 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 nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Anyone in the unsure boat when it comes to evangelism? Any of you in the boat uh, that you never raise your hands for anything in church? <laughs> Man, I love you people, but I don't love those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I feel that way too. You know, we, we can read the passage and we can have the sermon, but at the end of the day, when you're actually going home to that person and you got to look them in the eye or you're going back to work or the, the field or the neighborhood, it, it's super complicated, isn't it? Which is actually why I love the the last thing I want to share with you today. I have a hunch that Peter and James and John and the first Christians felt the exact same way. Remember the last thing we're going to talk about? Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, in the past when I would think about that phrase, I always thought, wow, that is so cool that Jesus wanted the good news to get to all the nations, including my nation. That you didn't have to be Jewish, you didn't have to be from the Middle East, you didn't have to share Jesus' DNA. Uh, It didn't matter if you were from uh, America or Asia, you could be African, uh, you could be Hispanic, you could be Hmong. Like, Jesus' love and forgiveness is for the whole world. So go, yes, make disciples of all nations. And that's a thousand percent true. But the other day it dawned on me, I wonder what the expression was on Peter's face when Jesus spoke those words. Do you know that all the first Christians were uh, ethnically Jewish? If you read the first pages of the Bible, you would find out that Jewish people had a very, very, very different and distinct way of living. Um, Kosher foods, the things that they would eat, the way that they would grow their beards, the clothes that they would wear, their holidays, their culture, their views of, of sex and divorce and marriage and God and spirit. Like Jewish people were so different And then Jesus, he looks his Jewish friends in the eye and says, yep, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. 
Wait, you, like the Romans? Like the cultures that have the naked statues in their big cities? Yeah. Like, like the people who don't believe in, in Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the, the uncircumcised heathen Gentiles? Yep, Jesus says those people. Go. Do you think Peter's armpits were just like dripping with, with nervousness? Like, what? I don't think he would have raised his hand saying, yeah, let's go. I think he was freaking out over the overwhelming nature of evangelism. And, and maybe you feel that way too. Uh, maybe you're thinking even now in America, like the, the difference between biblical values and what just the average person thinks is so, it's so different. Our our views as we try to love God and his word the most about almost everything, relationships. What is a marriage? What is a man? What is a woman? What makes sex good? Is it just consensual? When can a person get divorced? Who, who decides who you are? What's, I mean, the, the gap, even in my lifetime, feels like it's gotten so great. And so when Jesus says, go, um, it's a pretty intimidating thing to do. And that's why before I say amen and send you out on your way out, I want to say three really quick things. Here's the first one. The people that do the Great Commission really well are actually just like you. A couple weeks ago, I was thinking about people at our church who in my years here as a pastor have connected person after person after person and relative and coworker and neighbor after neighbor that they've like invited and invested. They've had great success in evangelism. So I reached out to these two guys and I asked them, what is it about you? Like, I know you're going to try to deflect the compliment, but why do you think you've been able to connect so many people to our church and especially to Jesus? Are you just bold when it comes to bringing up your faith? Are you, I mean, are you just such a great example that people want to know more about you? Um, are you just really quick on answering all those big objections about Christianity? What do you think it is? And you would love their answers. <laughs> because they said things like, I'm not good with words. And I am not bold. I asked one guy, on a scale of 1 to 10, how good are you at answering like tough questions about Christianity? And he said, quote, if there was a negative number, I would be that. <laughs> right, these weren't pastors. These weren't extreme extroverts. These weren't like public debaters of religious issues. So what was it about these guys that connected double-digit people to Jesus? Here's what they said. We love people. And when the door opens, we tell them about the God we love. That was the big secret. That they didn't expect to like stand on a street corner and give someone a Bible. Instead, they would just love their neighbor for weeks and then months and then years, sometimes for over a decade. That They just try to you know, be a good person, establish a good relationship. And, and what do you know, in all the ups and downs of life, there would come a moment when a person saw that they needed more than what they had. And that these men could say, um, you know, when I was a mess, when I went through a divorce, God showed up. When I was scared, when, when my health wasn't great, God showed up. One, one man actually said, my mess has become my message. Like the things I've, I've messed, my, the sins that I've committed have been a way to relate to people and preach the goodness of God. 
So I just want to say today, don't freak yourself out thinking you have to be a different kind of person. Um, instead, just be the kind of person that loves people well, that shows up when it gets messy, even if you don't have all the answers. And I can almost guarantee that God will open a door to talk about his love, his forgiveness, and the goodness of Jesus. Next. I want to tell you that our church wants to help you with that very thing. Uh, in just a couple weeks here at our church, we're going to host an event called Everyone Outreach. If you're watching online from a distance, I'm not sure if you'll be able to attend, but if you're here in our community, we would love for you to attend this weekend event because the purpose of it is to convince everyone to do outreach. It's a good title, isn't it? <laughs> what these evangelism experts who are going to come to our church uh, have discovered is that you could preach a hundred evangelism sermons, but if deep, 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 deep down beneath the layers of the human heart, if you think, I'm not the right person, that all this stuff is, is for some other kind of person who's, who's a better person or knows the Bible better, has a different personality, if, if that's the little seed that's way down here in your heart, it, it probably doesn't matter what I say, you're not going to think that you're a part of what we're doing. And so if we can ask enough questions to get down to the heart and help you see that, that yes, Jesus really wants everyone to, he wants you and me to do outreach. Uh, Peter and the, and the first apostles weren't the best people in town. They didn't have all the answers about the Bible. Most of the Bible hadn't even been written yet. And yet he said, go. I've been praying actually that a hundred people from our church would attend this event because here's what I know, the healthiest churches are churches that think outside of their own walls. And if we could raise up you and the person next to you and, and at least 100 of you from our congregation to think intentionally and passionately about your friends and family, we could make a massive impact in this community for the name of Jesus. I would love for all of you to come. If you have a communication card in your hand, if you just want to write the word outreach on it, I will personally get you all the information that you need to attend. And I especially, especially want to invite those of you who think that it's too soon. If like you just got baptized last week, if you barely have read a single page of the Bible, if you're just reconnecting with your faith and think, whoa, I got I to be a better kind of Christian before I do that, you are actually the perfect kind of Christian to reach out. Um, you're the kind of person who likely has tons of family members and friends who don't have a church home. We don't even know the message about Jesus. And, and so if you think you're not the type, let me tell you right now that you are. And I hope you'll take a chance and invest some time so that we can convince you to be part of one of the greatest parts of Christianity to go and make disciples of all nations. Which brings me to my final point for today. The final thing I want to tell you is that as complicated and as intimidating as this can be, Jesus is going to show up. Uh, right after verse 19 in the Gospel of Matthew comes verse 20. It's the very last words of the entire Gospel where Jesus says this, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When you go out these doors, when you go back to your home, when you go to that family gathering, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, guess who has said that he will always be there with you? Jesus. The Jesus who once took a demon-possessed man and turned him into a disciple? 
The Jesus who rubs shoulders with people from all kinds of nations, tax collectors, prostitutes, Roman soldiers, dead people, and turn them in. Can I tell you that Jesus is pretty good at making disciples? And when that conversation happens, when that door opens, he's not going to be somewhere far away. He said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. When you think you're you're not going to find the words, Jesus will be there. When you're worried about risking a relationship, because you never know how people react, Jesus is going to be there. When the Holy Spirit throws you a slow pitch and you just, you're just scared to say something, he'll show up to forgive you. And he'll show up when you need him. And just you and your brother who thinks that science has all the answers, Jesus will be there. And when you're reaching out to your neighbor and you think, oh, this could be the moment, he'll be there. With all the ups and all the downs, all the joys and all the struggles, Jesus made this promise at the very end of this great mission for his church. He said, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. After our early service this morning, I had a chance to meet two um, teenage girls, 15 years old, couldn't even drive to church, had to walk here on a very cold morning. And they said during this entire sermon, they kept doing the same thing. Because it wasn't all that long before today that one of them decided to go and make a disciple. She shared the gospel with her friend and her friend could, could barely believe how good it was. Jesus, forgiveness, salvation. She hadn't been raised with any faith. Right here, just blocks from our church, she'd never heard or understood the cross of Jesus until her friend decided to go. And I wish you could have been in the room to, to see the joy on both of their faces, the one who had come to faith and the one who had shared her faith. <laughs> they barely heard a word of my prayer. They kept elbowing each other like, yes, this is how it works. It, it's terrifying that there's this big hill to climb, but on the other side might be the salvation of someone you deeply love. And so, yeah, maybe they don't come. Maybe he's not interested. Maybe she never shows up at church. But what if? What if they did? What if just one person that you care about came to church this year? What if just one person that you know who never really understood what this was all about, what if they finally got it this year? What if you and I went and it worked? Well, that would make the Great Commission pretty great. So let's go and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that there was someone in this world who decided to go and share the good news with us. There's not a single person in this room right now. There's no one watching at home who was born a Christian. We had to be made one through the preaching of the gospel. So for every mother and father, for every grandparent and pastor, for every neighbor and friend, for every sibling, for every uh, partner and significant other, to whom you gave the courage to open their mouth and speak about Jesus, we thank and praise you today. Uh, We would never have guessed the goodness of your love. How deep and how wide, uh, how long and how high is the love that you have that would erase our shame, take care of our sin, and make it all about Jesus. 
Um, God, we know it's, it's messy and it's complicated. We know that some people don't have ears to hear about spiritual and eternal things. Uh, but God, let none of that keep us back. Instead, let just the possibility that someone could know what we know and see the Jesus that we see, that they too could believe in his name and be saved. God, it's my bold prayer that every person in this space today would leave thinking that they can do it with your help. That if you're with them and you're for them, that there's nothing that they can't overcome. God, give us a renewed fire to pray for people, love people better than ever, and share the best love that this universe has ever known. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus, and we ask for your help as we do it. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen.